1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: And just like that, we're back yet again. Welcome in. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate, recording extremely early, Tuesday morning, September 15th. Does that sound right? Yeah, 15th. Okay. It's the 15th, as I talk to the producer that is not here with me, and I'm all alone. Uh, I, By the way, I missed the date the other day by three days. I was on air, and Colin was the director over there for Late Kick Live, which we do on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Subscribe if you haven't already. Missed the date by three days. 72 hours had gone by in the world, and I was apparently totally unaware. So that wasn't, that wasn't the most flattering moment of my illustrious career, but I really appreciate you submitting some really good questions for this morning's podcast. If you haven't checked us out and I'm looking at the numbers, we get new subscribers every single day. It seems like here's what we do. Late Kick Live is Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, eight Eastern, seven central on the 24 seven sports YouTube channel. There's not a lot of time for Q and a there, but you guys submit a ton of really good questions. So on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, I do the Late Kick Extra podcast, which you can find here, in addition to audio podcast replays of all the live shows on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday nights. And I just take some time and answer as many of them as I can. I don't jump through them five seconds at a time, but it's pretty rapid fire, and we have a really, really fun time with it. So we're going to do that this morning. We're in full game week mode. So on Late Kick Live over on the YouTube channel, Uh, We are wall-to-wall. Sunday night, I can't believe we got that show in in the amount of time we did. I thought we were going over an hour. We got it in in uh, just over 40 minutes. So there's a lot to do, and that's with the SEC not even having started yet. So we do game predictions, give you all the whispers and intel. We do rapid reactions. We've got a lot of betting content. I've told you before the way that I structure my betting content is I'm not just talking to people who bet. A lot of you will never bet a penny, wisely, on this or any sport, but yet you're really fascinated with how the entire odds-making industry works, and you're far more probably willing to value the opinion of an odds-maker than that of an AP voter. And so that's probably why you're fascinated by that. I identify with that, because I feel the same way. So we talk about all that. So if you haven't already, start checking that out. Kick it off this morning kind of with a question that's not so much a football-related question, but a lot of you ask, and this is Cynthia, but a lot of you ask, how can we help? Like, What can we do? Very, very easy. Just subscribe here if you haven't already. Five-star reviews are very important on this medium, and I'm mainly talking to the Apple podcast crowd. I'm not discriminating against the other crowd. I'm saying this is one of the metrics that we just happen to value on the Apple side of things. So five-star reviews, written reviews, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And hey, give me a follow on Twitter. At Late Kick Josh. There's a lot going on, obviously. It's a very, very busy time of year. I'm not recording every second. So, a lot of times, you know, if I'm to go back and forth with you, that'll be the place to do it. There's a lot of breaking news seemingly happening every day. Occasional weather talk over there, too. So, that's where you can find me pretty much any time of the day at Late Kick Josh. All right, let's, that's enough of that. Let's dive in. Blake starts us off this morning. When are teams like Texas and Texas A&M and Tennessee going to stop getting overhyped, asks Blake. How many four-loss seasons from Texas will it take for people to realize they aren't an elite program? P.S. I forgive you for picking them to win the Big 12. Yes, Blake, I'm glad you realized that I did pick Texas to win the Big 12. Now, as soon as I did, I was not prepared for the inundation I got in my dms and my email and just friends of mine just straight up texting me just abusing the privilege and talking about my pick of texas and i can't believe you think texas is back who in the world said texas is back i just picked them to win the big 12 didn't know they were synonymous but i understand why maybe that misconception would be out there or hey maybe i just do think texas is back so let's answer this blake i can only speak for myself I have not been involved to this point in any Texas or Tennessee or Texas A&M hype before this season. And I would argue I'm still really not part of it this season, although I guess picking Texas to go to the playoff could be considered Texas hype. But it's not like I threw the prediction out there and then just ran. I thought I had some pretty good reasons. Texas is, to me, they're well positioned this year. uh, They've Got what you would want at quarterback. They got really good running back depth. I think they've got an excellent just overall base of talent on their roster. Now it's been mismanaged and underutilized at this point, but the talent is still there, and it's ripe to have the right combination of coaches in the building to maximize that potential. And I think that they have that now. Oklahoma, as much as I'm high on the Sooners in 2021 and beyond, think they're probably as vulnerable right this second as they've been in quite a while. So. I just think it's a fortuitous 2020 for Texas. That's why I picked them. Like I don't think that is too crazy. But as for hype with the other programs, a and I still view them as being well behind Alabama, as I do the rest of the SEC West going into this year. Tennessee, um, while I think they're probably best positioned to stun someone, if anyone's going to stun someone in the SEC East, they certainly start the season a distinct number three in the SEC East. So I'm not feeling... Myself hyping either of those teams, but as for why are they hyped, why do a lot of people hype them? Um, you know, boy, I think it comes down to probably a couple of things. Probably memory and I guess you would call it nostalgia. Like memories do not fade easily. People still think of Vince Young when they think of Texas. People still, in the back of their mind, when you say Tennessee football, they are not picturing teams struggling to make a bowl. They, in the back of their mind somewhere, still see Phil Fulmer and still see this team competing for a national championship. And they still see Peyton Manning and they think Rocky Top and 100 plus thousand people. That's still there somewhere in the back of their mind. People become crippled. People's minds become crippled by highlight mode and nostalgia. This happens to betters all the time. You can find folks They're a dime a dozen, just bet nothing but overs. And the reason is because they've grown up in the highlight culture, which is, you know, people in their 30s and above, really probably even 20s and above, who have just grown up watching SportsCenter their whole life. And so all they've seen is highlights. And all that sticks in your mind is highlights. When you think of a team, you think of highlight plays that you've seen from that team. And you never think of the 80% of plays that you also have seen that didn't work from that team. And so your mind thinks in highlights and therefore you think of explosive and you think of just the best of the best, but that's not reality. Reality is uh, things haven't been so good at Tennessee. Things haven't been so good at Texas, but I still think that people's minds go back to the nostalgia. And I think that's probably that along with just people wanting them to be good again, that's probably why they get overhyped. But I'm not telling you they're overhyped this year. So I'm not necessarily endorsing that. I'm not throwing out the word overrated, but I do agree that does happen to a certain extent. Dan is up next. Dan's got a pretty complex question here. It's about TV rights, so let's dive into this. He says, why doesn't Fox or ESPN sell individual game packages the way boxing does? I personally don't want to buy cable, but I'd rather pay $5 for an individual game. I'd buy the Ohio State game each week, and when I'm bored on a Thursday or Monday, maybe I'd buy Monday night football or Thursday night football. Cable's too expensive overall. And then you get stuck in a contract. Buying a game itself would draw in more viewers, which would mean more money. That's from Dan. All right, let's unpack this. This is a really good question. A lot of you have gone the alternative route. You have cut the cord, as they say, from cable, and maybe you've gone uh, Hulu. Maybe you've gone YouTube TV. I moved to Nashville in January, January 21st. True story, I have not even brought the TV in from the back of my Jeep. I have not even unpacked my TV, much less plugged it in here. I have never lived without cable before, until now. And it turns out I didn't need it. Shocking. But I also don't have any other means to watch stuff. I mean, I... Let me whisper this. I bootleg my buddies watch ESPN accounts sometimes. but I don't really have any of these. Like, I'm just kind of living over here with nothing. I got Netflix, so I'll watch, you know, The Office and Parks and Rec on Netflix. Like, that's about it. I go to The Office. Like, Saturday, I was in The Office, and I'm the only one, Colin and I, Director Colin and I are the only people allowed in there. So I was in there all by myself with, like, 47 TVs on every single game. That's where I go to watch the games if I'm not going to a game. But, Dan, this is a good question. So the reason they don't do it like boxing does is because boxing doesn't have conference affiliation attached to it. They don't have individually negotiated TV rights deals. Also, boxing is a sport that it was based on a pay-per-view model. Boxing is sort of like pro wrestling in that boxing was made for the pay-per-view model in the latter years, I mean the uh, TV-based years. Now, as for college football, college football, totally different. I want you to think about this with me. One of the main reasons that conferences exist is because the trade-off for the collective bargaining power that you can get is worth giving up your individuality. Here's what I mean by that. If you're just out there on your own and you can negotiate your own TV deals, that's wonderful. But there's a reason why, let's say the SEC, for example, there's a reason why you see those goofy commercials. They may seem goofy to you. It just means more SEC, SEC. That conference markets itself very heavily. You notice that? They market the brand. Well, the SEC has never played a football game. There are member institutions that have played a football game, but the SEC itself has never played. So why are they marketing their conference? Well, they heavily market a brand because brands build followings, and then followings build value, and value demands bidding wars. And as a result, if you're Georgia, for example— your one, one, your one 14th share of TV money from the SEC affiliation is far more than you would make on your own. And because the same people who structured that have all the power in the room, negotiation wise, the model that you just pitched Dan, unfortunately, is not going to happen anytime soon. The next hope that you would have, Dan, is if and when this whole current structure splits up. And if we have a situation where maybe the Power Five types, they go their own way. Number three song on the Fleetwood Mac Greatest Hits album. Good song there. Forrest Gump soundtrack, too. Go your own way. And if that happens and when that happens, ask yourself, how are the TV deals affected then? What do the new TV deals look like then? I think they'll still be strong conference affiliation. I'm just saying it could be your only opportunity for change. Next up is Noah. He said, praying for the folks on the Gulf Coast about to deal with Hurricane Sally, I know you've talked about storm chasing before, and I know there, used, there, there seem to be a lot of tornadoes when hurricanes come on shore. Do you have any good storm chasing stories from hurricanes, as weird as that may sound? Thanks for the show. Again, Noah. Noah, yeah, I do. I think possibly I've told a version of this story. There shouldn't be versions of stories. There should just be stories for the truth. So I think I've told this story before. I don't remember the context. And we got so many new listeners recently that let me just tell it again. Hurricane Ivan came on shore either 04 or 05. I was living down in Columbus. And I, I think I told the story about the pickup football game we played. That was where there was standing water on the field and there were just these chunks of ants cuz their ant beds have been flooded. Don't get tackled in the ants, folks. It's bad. You're going to have a bad time. So Here's what happened. I was also coaching a little league baseball team. And so we had team pictures scheduled for the next day, the day after the pickup football game. So it was a system that took a couple of days to get out of here. So we're up in Hamilton, Georgia at Charles Moultrie Park. Very beautiful place right off Highway 116 there in Hamilton, Georgia, for those familiar. And there is a big building that is kind of the central location of the park. And that's where we were taking our team pictures. And you can see out uh, probably a mile to two miles across the highway and over into this just huge openings. It looks like a painting. It's really, really picturesque on a nice day. This was not a nice day. Now it wasn't raining at the time. So we were trying to get it in between rain squalls and we're taking our picture and the folks that have the, we, we have our back to everything. And so the folks who are taking our pictures are, okay, look to the left, look to the right. Okay, now pout for me, Josh, pout for me. And so in the midst of all this, and that that part didn't happen, but in the midst of all this, there's a guy, a parent off to the side, and he just says, I think that's a tornado. And I think, well, this dude said that way too calmly. So there's no way there's actually one back there. I'm going to ignore that. And then someone else said, yeah, yeah. And then 14 people exclaimed simultaneously, yeah, yeah. We turn around and that's exactly what's happened, Noah, is one of those brief spin-up tornadoes have popped up right across the highway from us, moving straight towards us. So we had to run. Only option. Not too much unlike various scenes in the movie Twister. We were just left with no other recourse. We had to run. So we run down this very steep and soaked hill and a couple of us didn't make it down that hill. Let me let me rephrase, okay? Didn't make it on our feet all the way down that hill. And, oh, there were some rough times for some people who weren't already in the best of shape, mind you. We had to go hide in a dugout. And sure enough, that tornado moved right across the complex, right across that building that we were in. This ended up being an EF-0 tornado. It wasn't a big tornado, but it was the closest that I had ever been. And that whole, sounded like a freight train deal, Well, not so much. What it sounded like is a giant wind tunnel combined with a vacuum cleaner being that close to a smaller one. That's what it sounded like. So anyway, it goes by. And then as soon as it did, I ran back up the hill because I wanted to watch it. And I watched it tear up all the fencing and throw trash cans all over the place. And it did a little bit of damage there. It could have been a lot worse. But yeah, Noah, I guess I have chased a tornado. Well, let me put a finer point on it. In hurricanes, I've been chased by one. There was really not a whole lot of chasing going on on my end, but that was both a terrifying and now, since I'm okay, a very fun memory. But because you mentioned that in the context of Hurricane Sally, yeah, you're right, a lot of people are about to get a lot of rain dumped on them, starting tonight when this comes on shore. And keep in mind, we're also still trying to help out our folks about 100, 150 miles to the west that dealt with a much more powerful hurricane, and Hurricane Laura recently it's a La Nina year. It's not a fun time, guys. And Lake Charles, Cameron Parish, devastated. And uh, we've got a lot of friends of the program down there. So I continue to implore you, if you can help out, please help them out. So we don't joke around about that. But the one I'm talking about has long since passed. So I thought I'd alleviate the uh, mood there just a little bit with that story. All right, next up. This is a very good one. Had a couple of them kind of on the same theme. I recently discovered the podcast. I really enjoy it. Keep up the phenomenal work. But my question is about something that's not phenomenal. What does South Carolina have to do in order to get back to being a consistently ranked top 25 team? Can they do it with Muschamp? And how does a quarterback commit like Gunner Stockton help them get there? My belief about South Carolina, very fundamental in nature, said this for a while now. I don't think there's anything unique about South Carolina football right now. I don't think there's any kind of special preparation one has to do to get ready for South Carolina. I don't necessarily know even that over the past few years, you could look at South Carolina and readily describe their offensive identity. And that's you watching the games every weekend. So if you can't, I don't think really anyone else can. That's the first thing like, pick a lane. What is South Carolina football? And offensively, specifically, what is Carolina football? Now, the follow-up to that is, what have they been in the offensive coordinator position? And the answer is really nothing to write home about. There is this feeling up there that is unconfirmed, because you can talk about practice reports all you want. We got to see it. But there's a feeling up there that Will Muschamp has a guy for the first time in the offensive coordinator chair in Mike Bobo that he is willing to toss the keys to. That he trusts fully. Same kind of feeling exists right now at Auburn with Chad Morris. I am in the wait and see camp on both of those, having followed those programs like I have. But if that's true, then that's part one of the equation. Part two of the equation, as you mentioned, get quarterback figured out. Got a good battle going on up there right now that we're going to talk about a little bit later on. But you mentioned Gunnar Stockton. I mean, that's an elite talent coming in next year. No doubt about that. He's got to be magnetizing, first off, because you got to have talent come in there with him. And then secondly, he's got to have a stable program that he's coming in there too. But if you were to get those things in place alone, then I trust the Will Muschamp blueprint defensively. I trust the way that a program is going to be built defensively. Keeping guys healthy is the other big key for them that has gone horribly awry in recent years. And they made some changes in strength and conditioning. Let's hope that those things pay off. But you get those things checked, I think it's safe to say you'd be a top 25 Annual team at that point. Kendrick 97, up next. Did I see correctly that they passed a new rule where officials have to be on the field 90 minutes before kickoff now? What in the world is the purpose for that? Are people just sitting around making up rules for the fun of it? Kendrick, that is not a bad observation, but they think there is actually some purpose behind this, so let me explain it. You're not watching TV 60 minutes before a game. But if you're covering the game, like I am, a lot of times, I'm there. I'm on the field, and I see what happens. And it's a miracle we don't have any more of those pregame altercations that sometimes you see when when broadcasts come on the air and they say, "This is what was happening a little while ago. Look at this," and you see, you know, Kentucky and Virginia Tech mixing it up on the field. Child's play, just foolishness. None of those folks ever really want to fight, or hardly any of them really want to fight. But That stuff happens or comes close to happening a lot more than you would imagine. So basically, the answer to this was, let's get officials on the field 90 minutes before kickoff, and so none of this will happen. And i got to be honest with you. I remember being at several Alabama games, including like playoff games. And um, I think the Clemson semifinal game down in the Superdome was one that I vividly remember Tony Brown just acting like a psychopath, which is a compliment to Tony. He's in the NFL now, but he played at Alabama. He was a five-star defensive back from, I believe, Beaumont, Texas, and he comes in Alabama. Uh, had his ups and downs early. Ended up being a contributor. Gets on the field for him, but that's not what Tony Brown was most famous for. If you ever covered Alabama, it was his pregame ritual. Tony Brown, again, just wired a little bit differently from the neck up. Tony Brown was a guy who it was if you could properly harness what he had mentally, then he was very dangerous on the field but as i said j- just as sure as you could harness it one week you'd be sending him home from a semifinal cotton bowl game before the michigan state game the next week because uh he went after a coach in warm warmups so yeah it was it was hit and miss with tony brown but in the pregame tony brown would come out shirtless of course cuz he had i think negative 4% body fat he would come out shirtless and he would just wander around the field and he would hop and skip around the field I don't just mean on Alabama's side of the 50-yard line. I mean he would hop around the entire field, and he would run right in between the opposing team doing their early warm-ups. Completely oblivious. Tony Brown was as if he was in a beautiful state park in the middle of Wyoming, and, you know, oh, look over there. There's a moose, and oh, look at that butterfly. That was what Tony Brown looked like he was doing. That's where he looked like he thought he was not a care in the world. He'd go, t- he'd go two inches from someone's face and not even look at him, just kept, kept going, just kept skipping on by him. And so I would look at that and I would wait for someone to go off on him. And no one ever did, but that doesn't mean they couldn't. So this rule, Kendrick, could uh, keep Tony Brown on his side of the 50 at least, let's say that. Jessica is up next. Jessica thought she was getting salty, so she had to give a, um, she had to give a warning label to her question. Jessica says, I'm not bashing you or anything. I'm just genuinely asking, why do you keep talking about the Big Ten every show when we've got actual conferences playing football? Jessica, I understand this sentiment. I don't want to be talking about the Big Ten and the foolishness that's been going on up there right now. I wish I was just talking about their season starting. But let me walk you through it because I understand what you're saying here. So there are some of you who are sick and tired of hearing us talk about Big Ten, but there are... Tons of you who aren't. So Jessica, let me and this is a dangerous concept, but I want to put you in my shoes for a second. I want you to think like me. Dangerous, I told you. Let's say that you talked Big Ten a couple of shows, and you even led with it, like I've been doing on Late Cake. That's not by accident, folks. I've been leading with it for a reason. So then you look at the metrics and you look at the you look at the data that comes in the next morning usually and the analytics from the viewership numbers. And you look at the click-through rates, and you look at the average watch times on all that Big Ten content, and you look at the meters spiking every time, and you look at the traffic just being incredible every time. Well, I've told you before, I don't structure this show for me. I structure it for you. One of the most important yet forgotten rules in this business is you don't put together your shows to amuse you and entertain you. You put it together to entertain and inform your audience. And the audience is really into Big Ten stuff right now. Not everyone. Not everyone. That's why I kind of try and structure it as a buffet, where eventually everyone is satisfied. You've probably been to a buffet before, where you look at stuff that you wouldn't touch if it was the last food on earth. But then there's some other stuff over here. Ooh, I kind of like that. Well, the guy sitting at the table next to you may feel the opposite. So hopefully, I can have everything on the buffet to eventually appease the entire audience. But the point with the Big Ten is, this is really important now, all joking aside. It's really important what's going on up there as it relates to the overall structure, the overall ecosystem of college football. When the MAC bowed out, that's one thing. The Big Ten bowing out of a season, that's a whole different thing. And Pac-12 following in their footsteps, that's a whole different thing. It's really, really important. And Jessica, a lot of people do care about it. So you notice I don't spend 20 minutes on it. Like I get through it and I don't repeat stuff two or three times, but... Mainly what I want to do is separate the fact from fiction because a lot of you are at work all day. A lot of you have actual lives to live and you don't just live with the minute-by-minute updates from this stuff. So really what I want to do is make our show one that you can come to and you can separate that stuff and it's a filtration process and you can trust that we've gotten all the BS out of the way. Here's the stuff you need to know. If you just want to stay informed on this, here's what you need to know. Boom, take it and now we move on. So hopefully we don't have to talk about it much longer. Marty, next up, Jim Chaney is now at Tennessee. This will be his first time in Garantano's college career that he has an offensive coordinator for two years in a row. Jared Garantano being the quarterback there, for those unfamiliar. This has to help him as a quarterback, right? It has to make him more consistent. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Marty, that and an all-SEC caliber offensive line, that that goes a long way in helping too. Uh, but you're Right. A lot of folks in the handicapping world getting ready for the season. Those are people who bet basically, try and generate their own lines on games and compare it to Vegas and then bet the games where they differ in opinion. So uh, handicappers early, early on looked at this and realized there's going to be an advantage for us if we take the teams that have the same offensive coordinator as last year, same head coach, same offensive system, same quarterback, and let's bet on those teams early in the year. But A lot of folks who even think like that have shied away from Tennessee. Reason is simple. They don't trust Jared Garantano. Jared Garantano is not a preseason all anything. And so Jim Chaney probably thought of the same way as an offensive coordinator. I think Jim Chaney's always been thought of a lot more highly in coaching circles than he has in the water cooler circle, if you will, the message board circle, the talk radio circle. And um, maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong. The reason, one of the reasons that I think Tennessee could be in a position to shock someone is Tennessee is not going to do anything overly special offensively, but they have potentially the pieces in place to just not lose games. And sometimes not losing a game wins it by default for you. Because some teams, if you just sit there long enough, they'll hand you a game. Especially the ones that have moving pieces in the areas where you've been consistent year over year now. The one thing I worry about now with Tennessee is all those advantages, all those hidden advantages that maybe they could have sprung on people. Does it get wiped out because of all this COVID garbage they've had to deal with and so many guys being out? And I'm not calling it garbage in a sense that they've taken protocols they didn't need to take. No, they've done exactly what they're supposed to do, but it's still garbage. It's a shame. That's what it is that they have had to practice with dozens of players being out. Now, I know we extended camp for that reason, and we don't play in the SEC till the 26th for that reason, but the bottom line still is, you know, Florida, for example, they've had virtually no problems with COVID. Reported no problems with COVID. Tennessee has had a nightmare. They've had enough problems for the entire conference combined in Knoxville alone. So, Marty, I hope, along with you, brother, I hope, but I, uh, I'm leery of what this has done to their ability to prepare. Russell is next. Let's say you're a five-star quarterback. You can go anywhere in the country. Where would you go? Well, my first answer here is easy. It's Ohio State. There's been no program in America, aside from maybe Oklahoma, there's been no program in America that's been pumping out quarterbacks like Ohio State has. They've got so many good ones, they don't have room for all the Heisman Trophy first-round picks up there. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, guys, Joe Burrow, you know that name, right? There wasn't any room for him up there. He had to go elsewhere. He had to, all right, what's my backup option here? I guess I'll just go somewhere else and end up winning a Heisman and national championship and rewriting the college football record books and being a first-round top draft pick in the first round. There wasn't any – It wasn't room for him. He couldn't even start at Ohio State. So I'd go there. But also I thought about this a little deeper. What about Notre Dame? Keep in mind, the question from Russell is, I'm a five-star quarterback. So you may think, "Oh, oh, Notre Dame doesn't have good quarterbacks. No, they hadn't had a great quarterback. But um, I am the great quarterback, so I'm the one who can walk in the door and change things. If I trusted my ability to attract other top talent to come play with me, and I liked the offensive staff in place, Tommy Reese is the OC up there now at South Bend, and Brian Kelly just signed a new extension, so he's not going anywhere. If I let's say, respected the history and rich tradition of that program, and I wanted to be someone who was known for going in and resurrecting the identity and brand and reestablishing at the national level a historic power like Notre Dame, that'd be great. Notre Dame's not a bad program. Notre Dame's one of the top seven or eight programs in America right now. So if I'm a five-star quarterback, maybe I'm the one. Who can be the impetus for going in there and 10 years later when you're talking about them being a perennial title contender again, I'm the one who got that started. I am, to Notre Dame, what Deshaun Watson was to Clemson, let's say. So maybe, maybe, or what I could do is do like I did with the same question that was given to me about being the top long snapper in the country, and I could just openly say as I go into my college career, I'm only staying one year at any program, and I could just go four different places, Remember, I'm using my red shirt year at Hawaii, so I can get two years on the island. Maybe I just do that. You know what? Whatever I do, respect my decision. We got a good one here about uh, how many times can you lose and still make the playoff this year? One of those, I beat you in the regular season, you beat me in the conference title game, can we both go? I think this is going to happen somewhere, and Andrew does too. So we're going to ask that question and dare to answer it right after this. eBay
0: Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: So Andrew asked, if Georgia loses to Alabama in the regular season because the offense just isn't there yet, but then Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title game. So they're both one and one against each other, and the one loss is their only loss. So Georgia beat Alabama, Bama beat Georgia, they both have one loss. Do you think that they would both make the college football playoff? Andrew, yes, unequivocally. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to paint me a picture where both don't make the playoff. You know what I thought about? Dead serious here. My mind just assumed a green check mark next to the names of both of these programs, especially if you are without other Power Five programs and other, other Power Five conferences playing the season, I didn't even think about Alabama and Georgia. Here was the first question that came to my mind. How many losses does Florida have in this whole scenario? Florida doesn't play Alabama this year. They do play Georgia every year. What were to happen, let's say if what you said plays out? Georgia, Bama, they both have one loss, one of them's the conference champ. Let's say Georgia wins the conference championship in that trade-off. What if Florida's only loss had been to Georgia in the regular season? So you got Florida there with one loss too, and their only loss was to the SEC champ. Uh, You know what I'm getting at here. I'm not wondering if we could get two teams in a playoff from a conference. Of course that could happen. Could that be the first time that you're ever sitting there saying, wait a second, could we justify having three of these teams in here? A lot of you scoff at that out of principle. I don't care what conference you're in come playoff time. I peel the sticker off the back of everyone's helmet, and I just want the four best and most deserving teams in. Let's make sure we marry those two concepts. It's not just a raw power rating. There's merit involved. But if you've got three one-loss teams, having gone through that 10-game conference schedule this year, I would have to entertain it. Of course, I'd have to see what the rest of the landscape looked like. I mean, if Clemson's in, they're in. But let's say the Big Ten didn't ever get its act together. Or let's say the Big 12 produced a conference champ, but it was kind of a really just a mess of a season and the G5 doesn't really have one strong candidate. Who knows what that could look like? So Andrew, yeah, they'd both be in, virtually no doubt in my mind. Gator fan 1189. I've listened to the hype around Florida. It's got me excited, but in the back of my mind, I know we are not there in recruiting. What do we need to do to keep the four and five-star talent in state? All right, let's break this down. We have to add in certain qualifiers as usual when we talk Florida. Florida, as we sit here this morning, again it is early, it's mid-September now. They are the 7th ranked recruiting class in the country for the 2021 cycle. They are 4th in the SEC. But this is not a that's not a bad thing. So the point is Florida's recruiting, every time we talk about it, it's within the context of how do they compare to Georgia? That's really what it's about. How do they compare to Alabama? How do they compare to the elite? Because there is no reason Florida couldn't be that. So how do they compare there? And there's still a tick off there. Like That's the entire premise surrounding this question. They're not bad. They're not in the 40s or anything like that. How do you turn it around? Well, I'll tell you how you turn it around. You start by doing exactly what they've already done. Jason Marshall, everyone thought that guy's going to Alabama or Miami from Palmetto down there in Miami. He commits to Florida. Pretty big surprise recently. That was in August, early August. Corey Collier, the next day from the same high school down in Palmetto in Miami, high four-star safety, top 100 player, commits to Florida. So they've done recently, in the past couple of months, a pretty bang-up job of keeping a couple of big in-state kids in the state. But outside of overhauling your staff, like if you're not going to make big staff changes, I'll tell you what would go a long way. Beating Georgia would go a long way. I mean, looking, being able to walk into a living room and looking kids and their parents in the eye and saying, hey, we're the alpha program in this division now. Whether it's true or not, you know, it's a year-to-year thing. It's not like teams win 17 games in a row. Sometimes this stuff can go back and forth like a ping-pong ball. But if you could beat Georgia this year, it's validation. No one's able to walk into their living rooms and recruit against you saying, yeah, they're a good program, but I mean, they're never going to win the East. Like, they're never going to get over that Georgia hump. Well, if you get over it on the field, they can't say that anymore. So, in lieu of making staff changes, how about making a perception change and making people realize that you're there for good? That, I think, will go a long way. Midwest Dan Gator fan did not ask a Florida question, as it turned out. He says, How late do you think the Big Ten could start their season? and still be considered for the college football playoff. As I said, we're recording Tuesday morning. I am so tired of waiting on the Big Ten. I did not even hardly talk about them in the podcast this morning. But as we sit here, we are still awaiting a decision. And the big question now, as Dan asked, is how late can they afford to start and still be qualified and capable of making a college football playoff? Dan, I think the date is October 17th. But... You could theoretically start later than that and play an eight-game schedule, but this brings about a question our Bud Elliott was kind of tossing around the other morning, yesterday morning, in our national editorial meeting, and a lot of us had really quick responses to it. He said, wait a second, how many games can they play and still be qualified to make the playoff? And the answer is, there's not a set number. There really because no one's ever thought that this was going to be necessary. And so... A lot of people floated out 10 games, and of course, that would be fine. Some others have floated out eight games, and I guess an eight-game season would allow you to start later than October 17th. And uh, most people I've spoken to would still be okay with that, but they kind of balance it with saying, well, you better be really strong. There better be no doubt. If you're Ohio State and you've only played eight games, there better be no doubt in my mind that you're one of the best teams. But if they only play six games, that ain't happening to me. That's not happening. If they only played six, and you got others playing ten out there, I got a hard enough time meeting you in the middle at eight. If you're playing six, well, a what are you doing? Well, what are you even playing a season for? If that's the best that you could get off the ground, um, I mean, I'd still love for you to play the season. But I'm not, I cannot, in good faith, be considering you for a playoff if you could only play six games. Now, I guess the trade-off is if you only play a six-game season. I suppose they're thinking, okay. Well, at that point, we could start in November. G- great. How about start in October? Uh, it st- stands to reason. I don't think a whole lot's going to change between mid-October and early November. Go ahead and get it started then. So, my qu- my answer, Dan, I think is they need to play eight games. That's the minimum I think they need to play. Jay Hud up next. Knowing what you know now. Josh, did you overrate Iowa State, or did you underrate Louisiana? Because Iowa State did not look like a team that'll do a lot of winning this year. No, they didn't, did they? And uh, this is not a lie. I didn't plan this either. I am sitting here all by myself recording this morning wearing an Iowa State t-shirt. Backstory. Did I graduate from Iowa State? No. Have I ever been to Ames, Iowa? No. Have I ever been to Iowa? No. Flown over it? Never been there. Do I love Iowa State, though? Always been fascinated by the program. For some reason, always been fascinated. So I said that several times on the podcast. And you you guys were listening. At least one of you in Iowa was, because you sent me a whole box of goodies that I got at the office Saturday. T-shirts all over the place. And they came right before the loss happened. But that's okay, because as you know, my wardrobe is very limited. I am notorious for hating to buy clothes. And so, listen, this Iowa State gift package like doubled the size of my wardrobe. So it's been a great week. And I've been the only person in Nashville wearing Iowa State gear. I can promise you that. Yeah, I guess I did overrate Iowa. Or did I? You know, because last year they struggled against Northern Iowa in week one and still went on to have a nice year, decent year, um, not elite by any stretch. But, yeah, I think I probably did maybe underrate Louisiana just a little bit but I also don't have time to do it right now, but I would encourage you to go watch the clip on our 24-7 Sports YouTube channel where I did my Week 2 Thoughts. I can't remember what it's titled. I think it's like Josh's Week 2 Thoughts. You'll see it. It's pretty recent. And I talked about the misconception that exists in 2020 about the G5 and P5. And these are used as these sort of monolithic statements. Like if you're P5, you're P5. Uh, Alabama is no different than Colorado. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah, there's a huge difference. And the fact of the matter is, this is not to pick on Colorado. I could use Iowa State, since that's a team actually in the conversation here. The gap between Alabama and Iowa State is infinitely bigger than the gap between Iowa State and Louisiana, if there is a gap at all. But if you were to just view it through the lens of you got your P5s and your G5s, Saturday is viewed as some huge upset. It's not a huge upset. In fact, as I said on the show, if I were to put generic uniforms on those teams and you didn't get to watch knowing who's who, would you have even been able to pick the G5 team and the P5 team out? You may have said Louisiana's the P5 team. These rosters are very comparable. I went and looked up because Arkansas State beat Kansas State. I went and looked up those rosters Would you have guessed Arkansas State had more four- and five-star talent on its roster than Kansas State did? K-State was deeper when you got to the three-star range. Not infinitely deeper, obviously, but Arkansas State, Kansas State, like Louisiana, Iowa State, those Southern athletes with the proliferation of TV deals and knowing you can play on TV every week and scouts knowing where Louisiana is these days, Louisiana Lafayette, which I'm not calling them as a program, but that's the city they're in, there's every incentive in the world to stay close to home. And so these kids who just barely miss out on having an offer from Louisiana State University, LSU, or a and or Alabama, they don't feel it necessary to go 1,000 miles from home anymore just to play in the P5. They'll go to Louisiana Tech. They'll go to Houston. They'll go to Louisiana in Lafayette, and they'll be just fine. And you know what happens? You end up having a better roster than some of your brethren in the P5, Who don't get to live in the South and therefore recruit right out their back door in the South. Goval's 12. Why aren't teams a combination? So he says, why are teams either triple option teams or normal teams? If it's so hard to defend the triple option, why don't elite teams run occasional triple option plays? And the answer, Goval's 12, is they do, just not the way that Navy has always done it or Army has always done it. So think about this. You Basically, you game plan based on your personnel. I think that's pretty common. How would you invest your practice time? Practice time is very precious. And the triple option, it takes repetition to perfect. You don't do that sloppily. If you do it sloppily, you might as well not do it. And so to really run the triple option in the classical sense, as you're talking about, it takes time to perfect that. If you were a modernized offense and you had elite skill personnel on your roster and perimeter talent, would you invest time practicing that? Or would you look around and say, wait a second, through the RPO game, we can incorporate triple option principles here too, except one of the options off of this thing is a pass? That's what's happened. A lot of people have long since realized this, GV. They've long since realized a triple option is hard to defend. Yeah, it is. You know what makes it even harder? when the threat of the pass is involved. And so that's where a lot of that RPO concept came from is saying, let's put defenses in a compromised position just like we've always done with triple option football, but let's also tailor it to a modernized talent pool that we have here. We're going out and getting all these four and five star receivers. We got running backs who can flex out of the backfield and run a four, five, six, forty. Why don't we use them instead of just handing off and running the dive for forty five times in a game? That is today's triple option. It exists. It exists today. You'll see it run, or a version of it run, in almost every major college football game that you watch this Saturday. You will see triple option principles. They just don't look like they do, or did, in 1946, or modern-day service academy football. It's a really good question there, though. Had some good stuff this morning. Remember, we are three nights a week live now, so tonight, if you're listening on Tuesday, we will do a live broadcast on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Check us out there. Subscribe there. Our numbers have been just phenomenal. And the folks in New York City at CBS headquarters up there, they really love that. And they really love the five-star reviews that you give the podcast. So thank you so much for that. Please continue to do that. And follow me on Twitter while you're at it, at LateKickJosh. For Jordan, who is about to produce and edit this thing down as soon as I send it to him, and myself, Josh Pate, thank you so much again. This has been the Late Kick Extra Podcast. Remember, if you want to submit questions, you can do so because we got another show coming up Thursday, so I need questions at LateKick Josh on Twitter. Hit me in a DM. You can email me, Josh Pate706 at gmail.com. Or you can give a five-star review and leave a written comment and submit your question that way, or if you're watching Late Kick Live on the YouTube channel, look right under the video. There'll be a pinned comment. You can reply to that comment with a question. So many ways, everything outside of just openly giving my phone number on the podcast, and who knows? Maybe that's what I'll do to reward us when we get 1,000 five-star reviews. That statement has not been fact-checked. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless.